From the Financial Times in New York, I'm Ben McClanahan and this is FT News. Earlier this week, Neil Kashkari announced himself as the new president of the Minneapolis Fed with an astonishing speech, essentially attacking what many have thought of as progress towards ending the too-big-to-fail regime since the financial crisis. I spoke to my colleague Sujit Indab. Here's our conversation. I want to start with the substance of the argument, which is that um, these things, these vast behemoths, are essentially still a menace to the system. Is, is he right? Well, what I thought was most curious about the speech is uh, how little uh, respect he had for the progress uh, that maybe he doesn't think it's progress, but uh, what could be uh, deemed as progress over the last seven years. So there's basically two ways to regulate uh, the size of banks or the da- I'm sorry, the danger of banks. One is uh, what he calls for breaking up the banks. So no one institution is too big, and if it were to fail, it would not have a, a domino effect on the rest of the system. The approach that's actually been adopted in the United States is the idea of capital, increasing equity buffers in in large banks, making them uh, have so much cushion that if there was trouble, uh, they could absorb that that pain and it wouldn't spread throughout the system. So what was most interesting to me about the speech was that he had uh, such little time uh, or respect for, for those reforms and how they have worked and deemed them insufficient. So let's talk about one of his potential remedies, which is to, to cut these banks down, down to size. Uh, I know last year uh, JP Morgan had a long discussion about the benefits of uh, splitting up, and it uh, persuaded investors, I think, that uh, it's worth more intact. Um, is, that, is that argument worth making again, do you think? Well, what the regime has done, I was talking earlier about equity, what, they've, uh, what the regime has said is that as you get bigger, it's going to be more expensive to be big. Mm-hmm. And to your point, J.P. Morgan and others have said at these really large levels, we're going to be careful about growing our asset size. So you've found a backdoor way to, to reduce the, the, the pressure to, or the, the need to get bigger. The question is, do we need to, something much sharper? Does J.P. Morgan need to break up into three, four, five institutions? What they're going to say is that there's a lot of benefits from having a single management team. Clients like all these different products they can get. And not only uh, do they like it, it's cheaper to, to have a diversified financial supermarket. And so the question is, how much more, ex- one question is, how much more expensive would it be for clients of a bank to deal with five institutions rather than one J.P. Morgan. Okay. But he, he, I think he accepts that uh, there are technical benefits to, to keeping these things together, maybe. But I, I think he, he makes a, a nice analogy with, with a nuclear power station, uh, that governments will do anything yes. in their power to keep it ticking over in, in a severe crisis. Uh, and this was a guy we'll, we'll get onto later. He, he was in, 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 the, in the grip of the Lehman crisis. He, he was right there right. Uh, on, on, on the, uh, the doorstep of reform. Um, but uh, at that point, he says that you can make all the plans, all the resolution plans you want to, but in the moment of crisis, uh, essentially governments always come to the support of this alien nuclear power plant. Right. It, it, does he have a point? Yeah, that's a very uh, very interesting observation. He has an experience that very few have. He was, like you said, in the midst of, of uh, the meltdown, if you will, in 2008. He saw that all these rules uh, that were, we thought were in place were just thrown out the window, right? Remember there was a time when we thought Fannie and Freddie were not actually uh, getting subsidies uh, as government entities, uh, and in fact, the second they ran into trouble, the government poured in $200 billion. And so he, he does have a unique perspective. The question is, have the remedies that we've seen in the last seven years, mm-hmm. have they created a situation that we don't get close to that meltdown? There's so much equity, there's so much cushion in these banks. We're not having banks that are levered 30 to 1 like Lehman was, okay. that we don't get to the nuclear, the nuclear scenario. But one of these banks um, that has made a lot of progress, uh, apparently, on improving its capital and liquidity position is, is Deutsche Bank. But um, of course, last week, 
when Deutsche was sort of tottering and markets were questioning sort of counterparty risk. Right. At that moment, you had the, uh, the, the German finance minister saying, uh, don't worry, this bank has sufficient capital. Is that just what he's talking about? This is um, essentially government support when they're supposed to have ended too big to fail. Well, the question is, will, will the government actually step in? Uh, one of the most interesting aspects of Deutsche Bank and the European institution is they have created these bail-in securities, these convertible or cocoa bonds that uh, reset to equity should the bank run into trouble and is not made to, made to um, or not able to make uh, interest payments. So the question is, is that enough? Uh, Deutsche Bank has not been assumed by the government yet. It seems like it is safe. You've seen a rally in uh, both uh, the debt and the equity of, of Deutsche Bank and the other European institutions. So that equally could be thought of as uh, evidence that other uh, reforms uh, are working. And what about the person who's, who's making this argument now? I just spoke to a big bank. And they reminded me that this is the same guy that put together J.P. Morgan and Washington Mutual, and now he's calling for them to be uh, rent asunder. Is it, does he have a credibility problem? Uh, I think what's curious is where Neil Kashankari has come from. I mean, uh, he was uh, a Goldman banker for a couple of years, met Hank Paulson. They took a liking to each other. He ended up going with him to Treasury in 2006. The crisis happens. He becomes a TARP administrator, which was the government bailout program. Uh, he leaves Treasury, goes to a cabin, chops some wood does a short stint at PIMCO where he was in charge of the equities business, leaves that, uh, identifies as a Republican, then runs for governor of California, loses badly, uh, and suddenly is, uh, and shockingly, becomes the president of the Minneapolis Fed without really any kind of formal uh, banking or economics experience. He had a series of junior roles, which he only did for a couple of years, and all of a sudden, he comes into his first speech and makes uh, makes a huge splash. And now today, uh, if you were to ask uh, Americans to name one Fed governor, uh, the only one they could probably think of is Neil Kashkari because he made a made a uh, dramatic speech yesterday. So uh, it has a lot of people scratching his his motives. I mean, he has adopted the position uh, of Bernie Sanders, who is the extreme right. left candidate running for president. This is a guy who was running for governor of California as a Republican not too long ago. So what exactly his motives and credibility are, I think, are very much uh, uh, something to uh, to watch and to explore. Do you think he's looking beyond this? Next, so his current job in, into some kind of future position in government? I think, uh, based on his track record, we can see him as a very ambitious person. Let's put it that way. Right, with a peripatetic career curve. Yes. But just finally, what, what does this mean then? Clearly, it, it's, it's election season. Uh, there's no single candidate out there making any kind of argument for uh, keeping these banks together. All the capital is, is to be made in, in bashing the banks. But wh wh where does this end? So what's interesting to me is what do shareholders say? We've talked about the perspective of taxpayers and bondholders, perhaps. But uh, since the crisis, uh, banks have just not been a great asset class, the big ones. Uh, they've got uh, all these legacy problems with they've been fixing, all the new uh, capital requirements. And all those things have hurt equity returns. Maybe not a JP Morgan, but look at Citigroup, the of A. And so if I'm a shareholder of one of these institutions, maybe I say to myself, the only way to create value is to actually break up, leave alone the, the regulatory and, the, and the, social, uh, the social benefit from that. As an equity holder, the only way to unlock value is to get rid of um, these institutions that have been cobbled together and don't really make sense uh, as one, uh, one entity. So as long as returns stay depressed, this argument won't go away. Yes, you may see some convergence between uh, shareholders and uh, the leftist uh, regulators out there. Sajid, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, Ben. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.